Hello and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged. Today's guest is none other than Kiwi National Road Race Champion George Bennett from New Zealand. I found out all about his rather unorthodox attitude towards a balanced lifestyle. We chat about the differences between Aussies and Kiwis and actually fly out the Concords make a guest appearance. Well, not themselves, we just talk about the band. Uh, the random question generator quiz was armed and ready to fire as ever. And we also find out about how well he knows his hometown of Nelson too in the Nelson quiz. So grab a cuppa, relax and enjoy the pod. Or jump on the turbo and let us be your soundtrack for around 90 minutes of hot threshold action. Hello, and welcome. Are you ready? Because it's that time again. Matt Stevens unplugged by Sigma Sports. George Bennett is one of the most valued climbers of his generation. A key lieutenant to Primoz Roglic's grand tour ambitions of the last few years, and is also no stranger to success himself, having won the Tour of California and Gran Piemonte for his Jumbo Visma team last year. He's ridden an amazing 13 Grand Tours, and like a fine, reasonably priced New Zealand wine, he's getting better and better as the years go on. But there is a limit, and that's normally about five years for a bottle of wine this price. But enough about wine. This year, he'll be rocking the silver fern of his flag as the national champion of New Zealand, and probably a very snazzy pair of shoes to match. I should probably add, this conversation was recorded before George took that unfortunate tumble on stage two of Paris-Nice, which is why we don't talk about that incident or any other incident which might take place in the future. Check it out. First and foremost, mate, thank you very much indeed for joining us. It's, it's good to, well, I spoke to you a little bit yesterday when we teed this up, but uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, mate. No worries. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's good to be back in the uh, in the podcasting world. I've, uh, I had a little break from, from our own podcast, Social Distance, that we were sort of running for a while there. I had a few, uh, about a month off from that, maybe two months off when I disappeared to New Zealand. Now it's, you know, back to Europe and I'm sort of trying to re-immerse myself in the uh, yeah, in the cycling media world. Indeed, mate. Well, actually, while we're talking about your podcast, mate, why don't you give it a plug? Yeah, well, I don't know if I, Go I, on. If I want to. I don't know if I want. <laughs> I don't know if I want anyone listening to it. I'm trying. I try and discourage people from listening to it. Um, yeah, but when, yeah, when you do that, they, they become even more intrigued. So I think there's like an almost a guerrilla style of marketing that you're kind of fully aware of there, mate. <laughs> well, I, you know, I just feel like there's a lot of incriminating stuff on that podcast that that. <laughs> ideally just you know just doesn't see the light of day but um you know the other boys they they're insistent and they they want to just they just want to keep shooting ourselves in the foot so we keep reporting another episode and at the end of every episode we go shit we can't release that and then (laughs) i about an hour later i look on twitter and there's a sound bite and it's up online i go okay all right, well, if this is how my career ends, this is how it ends. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, there you go. I mean, uh, yeah, anybody listening, just type in uh, George Bennett, um, po- yeah, dodgy Bennett. podcast, and you'll probably find it. No, no need, no need. Just choose. You'll be sick of me after this anyway. <laughs> no, mate, thank, thanks so much for joining us. What we'd like to do uh, at the start, or what I'd like to do at the start of every pod, just to set the scene really, mate, um, if you could tell our listeners uh, – where you are in the world right now and what you can see immediately around you in the room that you happen to be podding in, mate. Okay, well, I've actually got, might be the most scenic um, podcast setting you've had for a while. I'm currently sitting at the top of a mountain in Andorra on the most stunning day. It's seriously, I mean, I was, 
you know, it's always like when I look at a day like this in February, I always think this is amazing. But in the back of my mind, there's just like, oh, shit, like this is not normal. You know, climate change is real. This shouldn't be happening. It's it's shorts and T-shirt at 2,000 meters in, in the Pyrenees in the middle of February. So I'm looking straight at the very top of the um, Port de Valera, which is a very famous climb. We've done many times in the tour. Um, and, yeah, I'm just looking out the window. I'm, 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 I'm trying to avoid looking uh, into the kitchen where I have um, the accumulative dishes of breakfast and lunch um, as I'm sort of spending a few days living as a bachelor. Um, <laughs> so I'm trying to avoid there and just keeping my focus out the window up at this beautiful mountain, not a cloud in sight, snow everywhere. Um, I imagine there's a lot of people that would, you know, skiers out there that would be absolutely hurting on the fact that they're not allowed to come ski here at the moment. Locals can ski, but it's, um, yeah, locals only. And empty empty pissed. Some I live on a ski slope. I can throw a ball and hit the hit the ski slope so wow. um yeah pretty stunning setting really it's it, it doesn't get old i've just bought a new house that looks you know got a nice little terrace out there and it's just yeah i'm, I'm very uh zen up here sounds like him that was one of the most relaxing and, and kind of uh, intriguing descriptions i think we've ever had uh, mm. on the podcast mate it's almost we could just wrap things up there really just the sights, <laughs> cool. Cool. The, sights, <laughs> the sights and sounds from george bennett in andorra <laughs> and then just some pan pipes being played over the top or something like that, that well do you know what i've got into lately is <laughs> What's uh, that? Not, i haven't really got into it but um my my partner caitlin she downloaded this app and it's it's like i think it's called headspace or something it's basically like to help you get to sleep well there's a part of it that helps you get to sleep and what it is it's just like um these incredibly boring stories and it's just basically someone you know talking very slowly describing something right and i feel like this if anyone's in and you know that would be a great way to you could make in a collection of everybody describing their settings from the intros of all your podcasts and sell it off as a, a bedtime application for people to fall wow. asleep to I tell you what, I am. I've got my moleskin open, and I'm jotting these down. I mean, I bet Niall is furiously kind of coming up with a, a concept that we could we could sell as a pod. That the kind of falling to sleep pod, something like that. I mean, we'd obviously mm. sort out some royalties for you, mate, if it was a six business success. Bloody hell, that's yeah. great, amazing, amazing. Um, well, so yeah, so you, so are you? You sound like you're quite. I mean, I've, we've had quite a few conversations over the years. Met you primarily at bike races and, and in Girona and stuff. Are you quite a Zen person then? Um, mm, oh no, I think I, I think I sort of just operate at either end of the spectrum. Um, you know, so it's I, I live, I have been quite a Zen person in the last few weeks. I mean, I've been in New Zealand, and. It's hard to be too worried there about anything, really. Um, yeah. You know, life life was normal. It's, it's You know, you're sort of far away from the cycling world, but then, you know, I often operate at the other end of the spectrum too where I'm anything but zen. Um, so there's, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's good to live in the extremes. Maybe it's good to live more in the middle. I don't know. But um, I, I definitely like um, – I like being sort of at the top of a mountain sometimes. I also hate yeah. it sometimes as well. You know, sometimes yeah. it just it feels very sort of, you know, isolated and lonely and all that stuff. And sometimes it just feels amazing and liberating. So, 
Um, sort of depends on how I wake up. Yeah, I mean, because you are. Let, let's make no bones about it, mate. You're you're a plain talker, aren't you? When you, you, you some of the most and and I, I kind of not necessarily applaud that because it's just who you are. You know, it's just you're just very honest and open. And some of the things that you've said and come out with in the and I think it, it's probably your podcast is probably a very good, good example of that. <laughs> you just don't hold back. So I think, but then you like moments of reflection and calm, but then when asked a question that you said, well, you'll just not give people both barrels, but you'll just basically say it like it is. So there are, there's definitely your persona that's out there in the media definitely suggests that you, that, that you maybe you do occupy. Um, you, you're, you're certainly not. I mean, there's a lot of pro cyclists, a lot of pro athletes. In fact, you'll, you'll ask a question and this is, this isn't, anybody's fault it's almost like a defense mechanism i guess where yeah my legs are great good good sensations let's see what happens i've come into this great you know that's pre-race post-race yeah it went really well just want to thank all my teammates it's kind of like you don't even need to do an interview but with you you actually get something of substance whether it's you know and that's that's really quite refreshing (laughs) for for better or worse for sure yeah for better or worse yeah I've i've had you know um I think I think it's it's more you know that you're just talking to the person to the reporter you know depend I guess it depends on the reporter or, or you know the person you're talking to I mean there's there's definitely say journalists or I mean comment like and commentators whatever you know like just people in the business that mm. you know you've been around long enough now and you sort of you kind of feel like you're just telling them how it is you know like oh like yeah today sucked it yeah. absolutely sucked there's no two ways about it and you're just telling them and you sort of forget there's a microphone there or whatever, or you, you know, like I say, you're caught up in the moment and you sort of, you know, maybe you don't, you know, I've had times where it's really bit me in the ass, you know, where like, um, you know, you say something and you're in the grand tour and, and then it sort of becomes a thing. And that's sort of what you almost want to avoid when, you know, you're so yeah. tired, there's so much going on, there's crowds, all this stuff. Yeah. And you, you know, the last thing you want is this, extra sort of media or extra sort of stress that you know you might have said something or you you know and and so sometimes it it becomes a real problem but on the other times you know i I just think that there's there's definitely um like i just find it so painfully boring when you hear like especially when you know somebody like there's so many examples of people i know who uh absolute mongrels on the bike which is great i love i love you know i appreciate i appreciate people that are because you know it's what we're all fighting for i'm terrible yeah. with myself but you know and they come across as such just this like you know gentleman they've had a huge fight with someone and then you know they get to the media and instead of going oh that guy's an absolute dickhead or something you know it'll just be oh you know we just saw something slightly differently out on the road today and you know we're mates and, and you just think like your mates you just tried to ride them off you just put them in a ditch like what do you mean you know nothing mates about it try to kill him and so you just think you're sitting there something and you see it and you go oh, you just i know yeah it is, know, it I, is. Know, I just feel like it's a, it's a bit sort of routine a lot of the time and it's not you know i mean maybe maybe i should you know head down that way but more at times obviously but yeah it is. It's a, it's a really interesting one, you know, because you know we're we op- occupy those two places. I mean, I've interviewed you quite a few times, um, and you, you've always given me, you know, given not say me, you've given ultimately me in the first place, but everybody else great value for money. But um, and then there's a couple of, as you've admitted, 
I can't remember it. There's a couple in particular, but I don't think we need to repeat them that have ended up almost going semi-viral within cycling media, haven't they? And, you, and it's like, shit. Well, yeah, I mean, the big one, we can, of course we can touch on it. The, the, the big one was the the Landis thing that was... That's it. And, you're, on your, and, you're warming down on your rollers, weren't you, at the tour? Or yeah, the, but what actually yeah. happened there, the, the stitch-up with that was, was um, that wasn't to a... That wasn't an interview or anything. What that was, was me talking to the team cameraman. Nobody else was around. It was me and the team cameraman. Ah, right, and, okay. And um, they were obviously looking through the footage at the end of the day, making a documentary. And the team media guy decided that that would be a great soundbite <laughs> to upload. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And that was a great example of something that cost a lot more energy. So, like, that, I, I don't know what happened. Have you, do you know, the, are you the expression, familiar with the expression, like a hospital pass? No, you know, I, no, I've, I've not heard that one. Okay, so maybe it's a New Zealand thing. A hospital pass is in rugby, right? You've got a massive guy running at you and someone throws, passes you the ball sort of just above your head. You have to reach up, catch it as a huge guy is hurtling at you and absolutely destroys you and you end up in hospital. So basically so like, the, above the kind of like shoulders and neck tackle, which yeah, are illegal. Yeah, it, illegal. Yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. pass that arrives at the, you know, you have, it's the pass that arrives at you as the player is coming to you. So you've got no option. There's no way cool. to brace yourself. There's no Got way it, yeah. to um, take evasive action or get low or anything. You just grab the ball as you're getting absolutely destroyed. And, and that's a real hospital pass. And that's um, that's what that was. That was a huge hospital pass. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I remember talking to the media guy the next day and actually explaining the same thing what a hospital pass was and he goes oh that's interesting and didn't really acknowledge <laughs> that they completely that up so i went oh, okay yeah all right well let's just worry about trying to get to the you know just get to the end of the juror but um yeah anyway so um it's it's uh yeah it's a it's an interesting thing and i guess as i get you know start to sort of grow up and get used to it a bit more it's all sort of um you know you sort of look at it differently and and realize that if i look at all new zealanders um and a lot of australians in a way not all of them but a lot of them i think it's more uh, um it's more a cultural thing um like i can see that you talk to all the kiwis and they have a rough day on the bike none of them are going to sugarcoat it and go oh you know you know it was oh, it was a bit of a rough day but tomorrow will be better they'll all tell you they had an absolute shitter and you know they'll they'll i can't think of one guy that will try and turn a loss into a win um yeah. in the media yeah and and i think that that's like a you know like the the biggest um if you look at sort of like new zealand culture say versus american culture yeah uh, there's a huge one of the the biggest noticeable difference I find is that New Zealanders, you know, they they love to stay in their lane. You know, like we're really like never get ahead of yourself. You'll the New Zealander to our detriment, massively to our detriment, will right. always put yourself down. You know, always sort of you know like just just um, never get in front of themselves. You know, and always just 
sort of hold a bit back and it's a bit more self-depreciating or whatever. And if you talk to yeah. a, you know, if you talk to a New Zealand and say, how are you feeling, mate? They'll almost, like, this would be a good experiment for you. <laughs> They'll 99% of the time say, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I you know, I will see, you know. Whereas if you talk to an American and say, how are you, mate? They'll say, oh, mate, I'm flying. I'm pumped. And you go, yeah. oh, shit. And you go, oh, that guy, oh, shit, he's confident. And that's often mistaken. A lot of New Zealanders often mistake Americans or whatever as arrogant. Yeah. But it's absolutely not arrogance at all. It's just a, it's just a cultural thing. And, um, yeah, it's sort of – it's taken me a while to sort of learn that because some of the most humble, cool guys I know will tell you, man, I'm flying. And what, they're yeah. just being honest. They're just going, yeah. yeah, I'm actually flying. And you go, oh, shit, okay, good on you. Yeah. I, I, I remember um, – I mean, there aren't that many Kiwis in the peloton and, and one I know very well and know who you know exceptionally well is Shane Archbold, you know, obviously at De Koenig now. And I've, I've interviewed him on road races and, at, and on the track and uh, a couple of times he just said to me, we've had to, I think we had to reset the interview once because, oh man, I feel shit, man. <laughs> and I'm yeah, like, you yeah, just yeah. tell me. And I was like, well, that was, okay, can we just reset? Maybe just soften the <laughs> yeah, language slightly. But the essence <laughs> of it, but it's he, just, just like this brutal self-deprecating honesty. But I tell you what, it's just so refreshing, you know, and it's, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's, won't, you know. You'll never hear Novi say he was, uh, uh, Shane, sorry, um, you'll never hear Shane as a, as a great example, really. I mean, I'm surprised you could even understand what he was saying. He just sort of normally just grunts at you and mumbles something. And then you can tell by his, you know, you sort of read in his body language and go, oh, yeah, he doesn't seem that happy about it. So we'll assume that that meant that he was pissed off. But, yeah, he's a great example. I mean, look, there's so, there's all, all the Kiwis, you know. Maybe, maybe one of the best examples of a guy I know that is the most – probably the most humble person I think I've ever met in my life is actually Tom Scully. Oh God, he's um, so nice, isn't he? Yeah. He, and he's, yeah. he's, he's just the, um, he, you know, one of the things that I w- like appreciate the most about him is his absolute, um, inability to complain about anything. So yeah. he'll have something terrible. Like he'll just have a shit race program. I remember last year he did this, this crazy block where he was on the road for six weeks, didn't go home just six weeks from race to race. And, you know, I said, oh, man, that's fuck, that's rough, man. How are you going to deal with that? He goes, oh, oh, you know, you just got to, you know, you just got to, everyone's got to make concessions with the pandemic and you just got to carry on and do it. And I said, oh, that's, you know, that's, a, that's an attitude that makes him a good rider, you know, and he, he'll, he'll never, he'll be doing the best job of the whole peloton and he'll never say, oh, mate, I was on today. I was flying. He just goes, oh, yep, yep. Yeah, the boys, keep the boys out of trouble. It was all good. Nothing. You know, nothing to see here. Carry on. Yeah. And you just think, wow, that's it. It's a, it's a, he's from a similar part of New Zealand to Novi. It's a South Island thing, especially deep, okay. the deep south of New Zealand. They're all, <laughs> right. um, they're all farmers of some description that just get up early, work all day, and <laughs> meet in three veg for dinner. And it's just, it's just a real hard working culture. Wow. It's, to talk, I mean, it's, it's really interesting talking about the differences in, in cultures, you know, throughout throughout the peloton and then within within new zealand but um at one of my favorite i mean i've gone off on a slight tangent here so please excuse me but one of my favorite comedies of the last kind of 15 20 years is flight of the concords and um yeah so uh, which story which about is that, that yeah. got um that got to not so new zealand on air had the opportunity to buy that early on super cheap and they said oh this isn't going to be funny no one will find this funny 
But then, so they went to America and <laughs> Americans and everybody around the world went, oh my God, this is the weirdest thing. New Zealand, what is this? New Zealand, you know, it was so unique that they bought it yeah. and it became a huge success. It's, I didn't, I didn't, do you know what? I didn't know that. But it's because yeah. they are just, they're like, I don't know where both those, like where 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 they come from actually, but they're, they're just, it's so deadpan. and it, But it's one of the, probably the most beautifully funny but subtly funny bits of comedy and important bits of comedy I've ever seen in my life. I remember when it, it first dropped in like the early, I don't know, mid noughties in the UK, whenever it was 2007 or something. And um, I watched it and it was like, this is so funny. And my, and my son who's, who's at uni now, he's watched it. And obviously he's like a generation behind, but he just thinks it's the most amazing thing. It is just absolutely wonderful. Uh, and one of the most, the funniest things within that, if you don't mind me kind of pressing home a point is the real subtle diff well no is the difference between the Aussies and the New Zealanders I mean there's many many differences of course um sport culture and stuff but there's the kind of the um the accent can you can you do an Aussie accent oh absolutely and and I like it's really, for me Australia like I love Australia I think Australia is seriously one of the coolest countries in the world I, I'm, I'm a huge Australian fan but there's a there is some big differences, and I tell you yeah. what, the worst accent in the world, I find, is the the piercing. I think it's a Queensland ac- woman, Australian woman ex- lady, you know, like the female Australian high pitched piercing accent. There's I a, think another one you mean, yeah. yeah. Have you ever seen Kath and Kim? Kind yes, of, I have. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's I think for me that there's there's something about that that is possibly the worst accent in the world. Um, <laughs> But yeah, Australia, New Zealand. I mean, we're 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 like, it's almost like a brothers, you know, a brotherly love. We sort of love each other, but we rip on each other. And yeah, um, but there is some big differences even amongst the Australians. I mean, if you look at the New Zealand cricket team versus the Australian cricket team, you know, New Zealanders could take five wickets, and a New Zealand bowler could take five wickets and say, yeah, the, the boys played well when they did all the work, and an Australian. You know, fast bowler could take a couple of wickets and, you know, just tell you about how good he was bowling. Um, it's, it's, right. it's a slight difference, you know. Um, but ultimately, you know, the, the important things are very similar between Australians and New Zealand. And um, so there is always a real natural connection between the two. I mean, I look at my, my friends in Europe and... <clears throat> As much as you know, I've tried to immerse myself in um, in Spanish culture, learn the language, and, and, and you know, and there's so many internationals there. Yeah. A lot of you know Dutch guys, a lot of whatever everyone speaks. You know, taking out the language barriers, I still gravitate to you know pretty much all my friends are either English, Australian, or New Zealand. I mean, there's obviously some exceptions, but yeah. the, you know, the majority, and, and there's something I guess at that Commonwealth shares um you know some underlying sort of i I don't know i don't i don't really know how you'd say it but it's definitely a a a bond of some description yeah i I remember a long time ago hanging around actually at the at the back of the back of races when you could kind of do that a bit more really (laughs) it's not really a good idea to do it anymore but it would basically be the few brits that were riding back then and there was only a handful maybe five or six of us and um there were a couple of Kiwis and Aussies and we would just, and, and one or two Americans as well. But I think, yeah. um, and obviously Americans 
there's a lot of Americans that do have a kind of British or kind of, uh, you know, Commonwealth and you could say sense of humor, Canadians mm. as well. But we always used to, I mean, I spoke, you know, French and stuff, but we still used to gravitate together and just rip the piss like no other culture kind of does really. Do you think that, that that's I, it maybe? That, I think you might've just nailed it there because I like, I, I look at my Aussie Kiwi mates and a lot of the time people, let's say an, an American was watching in on us, they, they would probably struggle to understand if we were, mates or we were enemies yeah because um, yeah, a lot of the time yeah, it yeah. is riffing on each other yeah yeah, it, it, yeah no, that's, that's a strange that's an interesting yeah that's that, the, the that whole really, hanging around after a race thing that's something that's definitely doesn't happen anymore I'm, yeah. i remember um you know i used to get so so g'd up for like we call them the holiday races i mean anything but a holiday but the, yeah. the races you go away to you know um yeah Tour California, Australia, um, Utah, say Canada, um, Beijing, and they would always be a, a really like, you know, you often have a, a big night on the on the piss at the end of the race and all that stuff. But you know, cycling has just gravitated to this extremely professional thing now for, for yeah. the for the better. I would say, you know, it's it's yeah. it's it's elevated the sport, but. That, that's something that doesn't really happen anymore. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, I, I came in as a pro sort of at the end of it and sort of, you know, had the influence around me that that was a thing to do. And so the first yeah. two or three years of my career, I'd absolutely launch at the end of these races. And, <laughs> and you know, at one is, point it, the tide turned and I sort of hadn't really clicked on that that wasn't the best thing to be doing. Yeah, I mean, th th I think that's that's the thing about cycling, isn't it? You know, because it is so hard, um, the training, the the sacrifice, the races. Um, you know, we do find that we kind of binge on that. You kind of look forward to the downtime, you know, socializing mm. and hanging out with your mates and, and not being a cyclist and doing the things that other people kind of do. And it's quite cathartic. But as you say, uh, around one of the reasons that I got into cycling wasn't so much the although the bike riding was great early early doors in the club scene in the UK when I was like in my early teens mid teens was just being around other like minded people and having fun and taking the piss out of each other mm. really on bike rides you know and then obviously as you got a little bit older alcohol came into the mix a little bit as well and it but then there were kind of periods of discipline which there was this moments of release when you needed to socialize and it used to be quite intense socializing, you know, I think it that, is. you know, and, and cyclists, let's be fair. And, and maybe other kind of elite sports, um, it, it, it's, it's extreme. And now, you know, that there's, I mean, we're, we're going off on another tangent now, but it's kind of the level that the sport, if we just focus on cycling, the level the sport is at right now. And the, the kind of, the amount, the depth in talent and how hard it is to maintain a position at, at the top of the tree, as it were, and the immense media spotlight as well. Um, you kind of understand why people sometimes just like, kind of crack because you do need sometimes to just be a human and just chill out and kick your boots off and just have fun, don't you? You know, it's... Uh, mm. it's um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've sort of developed a theory, you know, in the last, over the last couple of years and, and uh, a good friend of mine sort of reinforce it with his own expression as well. But I I sort of have this theory that I I don't really have a mantra in my life or any of that shit, but I, I definitely have something that I would say is, is people always talk about being a balanced person and whatever. Mm. But I, I tend to really disagree with that. And I say that 
at least to be a successful, really like really successful at something. Maybe balance is the key to happiness or whatever. But if yeah. if the if if your goal is to be really successful at something, I think you need to piss balance off and then and live in the extremes. So, you know, do everything to the extreme. So that's for me is that means that when I'm training, when I'm on, I'm really on. There's nothing yeah. balanced about me. Yeah. I'm on. I'm yeah. I'm I'm locked down. I'm training hard. I'm smashing myself on the bike. I'm eating right. I'm I'm really on. And then when it's time to kick the shoes off and you know blow the steam off, man, I'm just as on, but in a different way. I'm going 100 percent the other way. Yeah. I'm I'm swimming upstream, and and you know, and it you can also do some damage to yourself in a month yeah. off the bike. Yeah, yeah, but I'm doing all that other stuff. I'm blowing up all that steam and. It's like my mate Lucas says to me, he says the, his theory is the bigger the trough, the bigger the peak, you know, because you sort yeah. of build up that that sort of desire to be, a, to, to lock down again, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I, I just think that that's how you actually make steps forward because half doing everything, always spreading yourself thin, okay, I'm going to be balanced, I'm going to go out for some beers, but I'm going to train hard. I'm going to, yeah. you know, I'm going to, go to altitude, but I'm not going to live right at the top of the mountain because there's no one up there. I just think that that that's, you know, the half steps that don't really help. So I think that, you know, you turn on, you turn on, and then you turn off. You need to know that you can. T- there's a there's a, needs to be a goalpost or a, a, an end in sight so you know, okay, I'm going to really turn off then. You turn off. You sort of build up that desire to be really fit again, to be the best again or whatever. And then you lock it down again, and I think that that's, you know, it might develop a personality that 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 you know you, you might have some uh, some tough times after cycling, living a normal life, or whatever. I, but I do that's a think future problem. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's you've you've, you've put it um, really interestingly. And when you think about people across, and even you step away from elite sport, but look at art the arts for example music best some of the finest musicians the fine, finest artists writers movie directors actors actresses you know actors some of the finest proponents of their various crafts were extremists as well you know mm. um you know peter sellers for example he would just immerse himself in his craft to the detriment and, and then but the release would be you know, drinking, drugs, affairs, yeah. everything. I yeah. mean, Picasso. I mean, you look at the the finest proponents of whatever that person did. Whether it was Albert Einstein, although he, I mean, that Albert Einstein didn't sleep. He just slept. He never mm. really, he never had a bed. He just slept, slept in his in his in his office in his lab on his chair for like twenty minutes. But they were people <laughs> who basically were 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 kind of extremists, and um, it's maybe. It kind of works for some people, and, and I think the harder you, um, w- when you live this kind of, and cycling, quite often you live like a monastic experience, don't you? You know, you yeah. At you know, times, like, I mean, it's, it's it's hard, but then the harder you kind of do that, and the more dedicated and the more sacrifices there are to redress the balance, the more extremes the other end there needs to be, because to obtain yeah. any sort of balance, there had to be a redress, and it's yeah, exactly. It's kind of, and, and it's there weird, is some kind of overall equilibrium, and I think the key. Is, is setting out the, the stages in advance. So you have it in your head and you sort of set out how you're going to behave. So I, I have it where I like say, you know, a normal off season, say mid-October to mid-November where I won't even touch a bike is absolutely anything goes, whatever I want to do, whatever I want to eat, whatever I want, you know, anything goes. Yeah. 
And then you have this sort of period of, you know, getting back into it. So let's say that's mid-November to to 1st of January, six weeks where you start training again, life's still good. You know, you're training, but you're, you're not training with the, you're doing the work, but you're not doing it with the stress. And then as you get to January, you know, you're still living, it's still important to main, really maintain those relationships with your New Zealand friends, your family, you're back home, you you build into it that way and you're still doing the barbecues and you're still running around. And then for me, when I really turn on and, and that's been this year is, is when I get to Europe. And yeah. so up until the nationals, I was in New Zealand. Um, I had six weeks in New Zealand and I was running around. I had seen all my mates. I was still training really hard, but I was, you know, I was living this sort of, let's say a balanced lifestyle that was, was not, that was, you know, a, it was never going to get me really far and and that's why i came to europe you know three weeks before the racing starts because i need to be to really turn on now you know to be at altitude to get home from training and not go to a barbecue to get home from training and put the feet up and sit on the couch and to do core work and to you know and, and yeah and so there's these stages that you sort of set out for yourself and i've got this this period in my head and i know okay there's going to be a little few little week after say catalonia where i'm gonna take a bit of a breather but then essentially until after the giro i'm i'm gonna be on yeah and then there's this end in sight for me there and then there's another build up and you, and you sort of you sort of set these goals for you or these these periods and and knowing that a rest is coming is or a you know a, a blow up a blowout is coming is is really comforting as well you know it really makes you go okay. Yeah, this is no problem for me to do this now because it's it's not forever. It's temporary. Yeah, I, it's a really really interesting kind of way. I mean, I'm, I don't think we could because of the extreme nature of it. I don't think it's anything you'd want to maybe necessarily prescribe to a young athlete. But what I think you absolutely, I'd prescribe yeah, the opposite weird. to a young guy. Yeah, people, it's, it's weird. Young yeah, guys but, always ask about it, and you just say yeah. the, the main thing you need to do as a young guy is to go to all the parties on the weekend. Don't ever miss out on that stuff because you'll go to europe and then you'll go shit i just missed out on being a kid so yeah. i think that it's something you yeah, don't right. start until until you're in the 20s yeah no and and you it's 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 important and and as you get older you you become i know it's kind of we, it's a really interesting it's a really really interesting conversation but the, the the older you get the more comfortable you are about knowing your limits although they're quite extreme you know that you're going to get through because you've experienced what the rewards are and um mm. the, the moments of kind of 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 dedication the moments where you can you kind of lock yourself away the times and i know this is controversial but i'll say it because it's true you go to bed hungry um because you want to be the optimum weight for the next set of races and um, you don't see your friends as much you don't touch a drop of alcohol you don't eat chocolate all the things that you generally crave it builds up doesn't it but it, there's actually an, a, a kind of perverse when I was in those sorts of phases before like a world championships or big races where you know throughout the season um I would it would be it would kind of have a snowball effect there was a perverse satisfaction I got with knowing that I was being extreme and that would drive me even oh, further yeah because I could see the Absolutely. results. And the better you get, the more the more motivating it is, isn't it, to keep yeah. doing it? It's uh, yeah, it's it's a very very interesting state of mind, mate. And um, there's the positives, there's negatives. There's, I mean, I, I don't think we cannot mention, you know, a teammate of yours, Tom Dumoulin. I mean, it, we don't know. I don't know how he operated mentally, but I do. We all do know now that because of the spotlight that he was under, 
and the level that you know he'd been at and wanted to come back to and a multitude of other reasons I'd imagine that you had to just switch off from the game because the pressure is mm. intense isn't it and you well I wonder if that's I wonder how much of that is <clears throat> I mean I'm I, I get on really well with Tom um yep. I've only been with him for a year but he was I, I I really like Tom and he's a he's a super nice guy um and um I wonder how much I haven't talked with him in depth about you know his decision to stop other than a few messages and um but you know i think it's very different being a good cyclist from new zealand where essentially you know okay a lot of it's gaining a lot of traction a lot of people i've got a lot of great supporters there but the majority of the population just think that you're an asshole that takes up the whole road and no one really cares yeah um whereas you know being a Giro winner from holland or even just being a good cyclist you know if i was dutch maybe I would feel some kind of, I don't know, cultural or, or you know, weight of a country. I don't know. Yeah, you'd be higher up in the public consciousness, wouldn't it? You, you, I think, well, yeah. I think Tom de Moulin in his country transcends cycling. He's a kind of celebrity, isn't he, you know, because of what he's done. Yeah, he, he's one of the biggest sports stars. And, I mean, any Dutchman, I mean, talking to Rob, Robert Gessink about it, I mean, that's why he moved out of Holland. He was a superstar as a 21-year-old. Fourth in the Tour de France or something, and uh, you know, he said life as a Dutch because the Dutch in particular are very critical. I mean, I don't know. Out of all the people that take their time to send me messages to tell me how shit I am, I would say sixty <laughs> percent of them are Dutch. Seventy percent of them are Dutch. Right. Okay. Amazing. So they 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 just feel uh, there's something about Dutch culture that there's a need to comment on something that doesn't need to be commented on, you know? I right. mean, there's also a lot of, I mean, I'm giving Dutch a bad rep here, huge amount of all my supporters at least are Dutch and they're awesome. And they're, mm. you know, I love the passion of Dutch cycling fans. They're, they're awesome. But they are, there's a lot of them that are quite critical. And I imagine as a Dutchman, you know, that might wear you thin if your own countryman is telling you, you know, you're not what yeah. you used to be, you yeah. know, all this stuff, um, which isn't true. I mean, Tom's physical abilities are, are just amazing. When you see this guy in action, you see well, – I mean, I can say that about a lot of my teammates, actually. All of them just scare the shit out of me, really, when I go on training camp <laughs> with them. So. It's really um, – uh, hold on a minute, mate. I think this funny noise comes through. Just bear with me a minute, uh, George. Just It random might be the question random alert. question random generator coming through. Uh, random question uh, um, It is time for a random question. Okay, we got, well, the random generated question has come through. So basically, uh, sorry to cut across and change the subject dramatically, but we have this new thing on the podcast where we get a randomly generated question, George. Here's the question, as random as it might be. Uh, it's completely out of my control. Uh, are you ready? I'm ready. Would you rather live without shoes or live without Tuesdays? meaning you'd be asleep for an entire day a week, every week, but not reap the benefits of that 24 hours of rest effectively by cutting your life short by one-seventh. <laughs> what on well, considering, earth? Cons- this is a real easy one for me because okay. considering I spent the first 18 years of my life not wearing shoes, okay, um, I survived fine. The only issue I would have is cycling shoes. So yeah. I'm going to say that they're not shoes, that they're cleats, and I'm going to go barefoot because um, 
there's a it, it's ironic that it's Tuesday because I started this great hashtag with my partner's shoe painting business called Shoes Day. Um, okay. but she thought it was lame and it didn't really catch on. But um, it's Caitlin, isn't it? She's got a kind of shoe yeah, painting. Yeah. Yeah, but but um, yeah, Tuesday. Uh, I, I I love a Tuesday, so I'm I'm going to go shoeless and embrace my Hobbit roots. And um, yeah, I mean, as a as a five year old, I would I remember going to school clearly in the middle of winter with no shoes on and just not wow. ever wearing shoes. Um, wow. Yeah, never, just never wore shoes. Hated shoes. That's so and, and that's that's normal in New Zealand. A lot of people that was that that wasn't frowned upon or it wasn't you know no one sort of put their nose up at it i just don't wear shoes i mean I, I, it's the only place like even when i was home this year I, I would go do a lap in the supermarket go shopping with no shoes on wow and um i remember clearly this day in the tour 2017 i was on the bus and the, we were just about to leave the car park and i needed to walk over to the truck to get something out of the truck or tell a mechanic something and it was maybe 20 meters yeah. and I walked out of the bus with no shoes on to walk across and the team doctor was standing outside and he screamed at me like I was, you know, like I was committing some horrific crime, wow. you know, you, you idiot, what are you doing? And I was looking at him going, I don't know, what, what am I doing? And then he pointed <laughs> at my feet and I said, you've got no shoes on and I was like, oh, okay, well, that's what's wrong with that? And, you know, they're always talking about how you get sick and stuff with no shoes on, but it's a crock of shit. Don't wear shoes. It's good for you. There we go. No, you just heard, you heard it here first. Um, don't wear shoes. What, what a, a very uh, that was a very elaborate and but necessary answer to that question. You you didn't even ask me to answer the question. Ask the question again. You just were straight into your stride, which is very impressive. Um, we're well, talking. What, about, what would you go with? Uh, or live without Tuesdays. Flipping heck. I'd probably go without. Mm, God, that's quite a lot. It's like a whole seventh of your life, isn't it? Gone. Um, I've had a lot of would you rather's in my life, um, and that was by far the most PG one I've ever had in my life. Okay. Normally, it's like you know I don't even go into what a normal would you rather is, but they're <laughs> yeah. normally pretty. Um, yeah, that's know, quite not tight. suited for podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it's more like uh, one of your kind of extreme times when you're out on the beer with with your mates. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I probably would. I, I like Tuesdays. I think Tuesday is an important yeah. component part of the week. So what I would do is very much like a guitar player whose thumbs and fingers harden up on the left hand if they're left-handed, if they play from the, with the right hand. Uh, I think because I think over time, my feet would just harden up a little bit and I'd be fine. Well, um, my mum used to tell me that um, as a you know I play guitar growing up and she'd always tell me to dip my fingers in meths to try and harden the fingers up because I used to get quite bad blisters. But right. the other thing you can do is, is I don't know if it's a rogue rumor, but you need to piss on your fingers. So I wonder if you just pissed on your feet every every morning, you would have some kind of leathery, <laughs> some leathery, leathery shoe set up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, again, you're coming out with some absolute perlers today. So urinate on the feet. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, that's what I do. I mean, I probably have to seek your advice, actually. Once I've got my Tuesdays done and dusted and I know that was there, I'd have to really work on my – soles on my feet so i just mm. I'll probably give you a shout george if that's all right yeah um, yeah anyway. create some kind of buddy system get someone else to pee on your feet yeah definitely i'm sure it'd be fine um it's time uh, we're halfway through the pod or roughly i mean it's we've I, I've, I've got i generally am quite 
I've got me a little moleskin. Every podcast, I have a few questions laid out, but generally, it's quite, a, as you can probably tell, a rambling kind of podcast. And I've, I've not asked anything, but I've loved it because we've just gone all over the shop. But there's one thing that I am going to ask you, and that is that it's time for the Nelson Quiz. The Nelson Quiz. Nelson Quiz. Now it's time for the Nelson Quiz. Fun fact on Nelson before we get into it. My middle yeah, name is Nelson. Um, and Your middle name is Nelson as well. Yeah, and everybody thought it was because I was born in Nelson. And then, you know, on Facebook, my friend, I was, my name was obviously George Nelson Bennett. And all my friends thought I was just taking the piss as in like, you know, Nelson born and bred, whatever. But no, my middle name is Nelson. But it's not actually because I was born in Nelson. It was because I was born the same year as Nelson Mandela was let out of uh, a jail. So Right. Okay. All right. Well, that's, mm. that's kind of, that's, I, know, that's, I think that's a nicer of the options as well, isn't it, to be perfectly honest with you? Mm. Okay, well, that, that's, a, again, a, a lovely little nugget that I will no doubt drop into commentary at some point um, when, when the yeah. racing's a bit dull. When, you, <laughs> when you've got, on, on a flat stage of the Giro, when there's a break three and a half minutes up the road of two riders, um, that's the kind of information that I, that's really, really <laughs> helpful to a commentator. Right, mate, here we go. I've got four questions about Nelson for you. Um, we will try and play you the jingle later on. Um, we've because Niall, who is as you, you met at the start of the pod, has really got behind all these jingles. But we have a technical issues that we can't hear them. But we'll try and uh, make sure you do hear it because they are something to behold. But anyway, it is, it is time now for question number one. And just um, just a bit of a fact for people out there: Nelson is basically the northernmost uh, town on the South Island of New Zealand. If any of you are wondering, okay, so right. George Nelson, question one. Nelson had a coat of, has a coat of arms, okay, which was obtained from the College of Arms in England in 1958. But what what are the two creatures standing either side of the coat of arms? Now I'm going to give you it's multiple choice. Easy. So don't, don't go straight. Oh, oh you know. know. Okay, just tell me then. A sheep and a swan. No. What it is? But there might be two. Well, the one. Oh, the one year old boys rugby club. Definitely, it's a sheep getting hoisted from a bloody thing with a thing around it, and it's a swan. I know it is, but okay, that might be the one. Rugby. Okay, let's let's hear my. I think I think that might be I think that might be the rugby club one. But the Nelson, okay. uh, actually, that the kind of town or the city of Nelson has an official one from 1958. Is it a kuya bird and a kakapo side by side, uh, with a crest in the middle? Is it a is it a, ku- a huya and a, a kotuku? Which is a white heron, or is it a oh, huya, yeah. or and a kiwi? No, it's a huya and a kotuku. It is indeed correct, Amundo. Yeah. Well done, yeah, mate. Yeah, I, I know the crest you're talking about now, and that's yeah, nah, not my crest. <laughs> you were so adamant as well, and I was thinking that's a weird. Oh, really I know weird you got to look at the Wyoming Old Boys Rugby Club. That's I had my twenty first party there. I used to play for them for ten years, twelve years of my life, and. I was pretty familiar with that crest, but yeah, shit, okay. Fair enough, mate. Well, the, the, we, you've got a rugby question coming up in, in three questions time, but 100% so far, one from one. Question number two. Uh, Nelson is sometimes known as Sunny Nelson, as quite simply, it's a very sunny place. But George, how sunny is it? So per year on average, how many hours of sunshine does Nelson have, all right? Is it 
A, 2,301 hours, B, 2,472 hours, or C, 2,559 hours of sunshine per year C. on average? It's B. Mm. Um, yeah, 2,472, but you weren't far off. Um, well, just one question out, really. But so you've, you've now got 50% so far, mate. So we're halfway through. Still time to pull things back. Uh, question number three. What is the name of the glossy lifestyle magazine focused on the Nelson and Marlborough regions, which launched in 2008? <laughs> is it? Rotten Tomato? Oh, well, okay. Is it Wild Tomato? Oh, wild tomato. That's it. Or, yeah. or wild key? Is it or is it B wild kiwi, or is it C wild apple? Wild tomato. It is wild tomato. Good lads, you're back on form. <laughs> I should give you Modern a tomato. Is the website where people write angry reviews about movies. That's right. That's the one. Yeah, you kind of, but you clearly did know that there was a tomato in the title of the glossy magazine. That yeah, you probably it's definitely a tomato focus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Okay, so well done, mate. Finally, the rugby question that you've probably been waiting for. The final question on the Nelson quiz. Okay, the first ever rugby union match in the whole of New Zealand took place in Nelson in 1870. That's a fact right there. Um, But between which two teams? Okay, so stay focused. Was it A, the Nelson Harbourman FC versus the Nelson Suburbs FC? Or was it B, Nelson College versus the Nelson Shipwrecks FC? Or was it C, the Nelson Suburbs FC versus Nelson College? C. Correct! The others I completely yeah. made up. Well done, mate. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Harbourman. There's, there's, there's a pretty low-end harbour in Nelson. I think they wouldn't have... Yeah, no, they wouldn't have... The port workers, the state of the port workers in Nelson, I wouldn't think that they'd be able to put together a rugby team. <laughs> What about the Nelson Shipwreck? Do you think that's a good name? I think you'd be a terrible captain if you shipwreck a Nelson, isn't it? It's really, really safe, pretty, isn't it? It's a pretty safe area, yeah. I think you're doing well to wreck your ship out of Nelson. but Yeah, it, again, another little fact. I mean, I spent around about an hour just researching that quiz to get some to get some fun facts, but I did learn, I did learn that there's a... There's a boulder, like a naturally formed boulder reef to the around mm. sort of protecting Nelson Harbour. So when when the settlers first kind of landed in the kind of 1700s and stuff, um, they actually found it very easy to land, and uh, and, and that's where they started to settle um, because it was just one of the easiest natural kind of inlets and, and kind of harbours in the area. Yeah, it's it's a great place, Nelson. Um, you know, it's the kind of place where you you want to grow up. And then you want to leave for your twenties because, you know, it's a small. It's ultimately a small town. But then when you have kids and whatever, you want to come back. And it's quite cool for me because I'm at the stage where a lot of my friends are starting to sort of move back, and you know they've gone and seen the world and decided that Nelson was better, and sort of slowly moving back. And it, it's starting to become you know quite a nice place for me to go back again. I mean, there was a period of my life where I sort of was going, oh, this place is what's going on here. You know, this is not for me. And then. You know, now I'm falling back in love with it. So it's an awesome place. That's cool, mate. I mean, actually, while you're talking about, you know, your, your kind of thoughts and feelings about, about Nelson, how about you tell us about your, your first memories of getting on a bike? If you'd kind of rewind, um, can you remember the first time or your first kind of occasions <clears throat> of riding a bike? And at, at what point did you kind of really fall in love with it when you were a kid growing up? Yeah, I mean, the first time I sort of rode with any intent, let's say, 
um, was this thing called the Rainbow Rage. You know, I've been doing a bit of fitness for rugby and, and all this stuff. And then my mate sort of got me into it. I was on the mountain bike and I did the Rainbow Rage and 100K took me five and a half hours on this gravel road. And I think I just fell in love with the the thing that more than actually the physical act of riding, the thing I loved most about it was sort of what you were touching on earlier was this awesome weekend away with my mates. And, and we just had a great time and it was just a cool thing. And then mountain biking sort of became this, real sort of fun thing that we did with some mates and mm. and and then i sort of just got better and better at it i mean they used to take me riding just to watch me crash it was kind of like the the joke you know they'd rip down the hill in front of me and then watch me come down and right. snap my speedo cable and um you know it was sort of and it sort of morphed into this thing where I suddenly i became you know new zealand at least uphill the best guy and on the mountain bike and right. then i started getting the skills and everything uh, but mountain biking started to change underneath me and it became this real power focused thing, shorter laps, not much climbing. Yeah. And and that's sort of when I, you know, I went to the worlds on the mountain bike and crashed, you know, and I was like, I had everything set on this top 10 finish at the worlds and, and then, you know, I crashed straight away in the start basically. And then, Bloody hell. and then I went out riding in the, in the Val de Sol in Italy there and fell in love with the road bike. And then I went, right. That's it for me. I'm getting on the road bike, frustrated that I could never sort of make the most of, say, the engine, and that's when I went to road cycling. But, yeah, yeah mountain just, biking early on in Nelson and riding in Nelson was just awesome. I mean, even when I went on the road, like, it's this weird thing, like, I'm sure you have it in the UK where you just have these spots where there's just, like, you know, surprisingly awesome riders and people that and you sort of think, man, it's crazy that you were here, you know, but, like, I had a guy um, – you know, in my club, I had, um, you know, the guy that owned the bike shop, for example, when I was working at the bike shop and he, you yeah. know, just people at the right, right people at the right time. I had Rob yeah, Reed, yeah. who's an Olympian. He was training me for a bit there. And, and I had Chris Nicholson, who was a Commonwealth Games gold medalist. Had Nathan Dalberg around. I mean, he rode seven oh, right, yeah. Tour de France three or four yeah. times. He lives, he lives 50K down the road. I mean, you just think it's just this crazy thing. We had, at the time, we had this thriving club scene and you could go out and get, smashed on a tuesday and a saturday and and there was you know people would people were very good to me in that they um they would never go easy on me they would always race hard but they'd also tell me what i was doing wrong and 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 i just had this i was just so fortunate really that i just had this i was the right place right time it was a real buzz time for road cycling in new zealand it was before safety traffic management that made everything you know very restrictive sure, um sure. and it's pretty crazy what we used to race i think of the star it used to be called the star and garter wheelers it's now the tasman wheelers but we used to just go and they would just t- they'd stand around at the start and you know you'd have sometimes 100 people across four or five grades yeah and they would just say all right this is where we're going today here's the finish line and you'd occasionally get a guy on a corner with a flag but not often <laughs> and it was just nuts and we we uh you know and it's now become a lot more restrictive the club's still great it's still an awesome club but you know they're really battling with the with the council who just sees it as an annoyance yeah. which is really annoying you know when people when when everyone has a like this sort of the culture of putting up barriers to everything as opposed to embracing everything like they yeah. could easily just go, all right, we, we'll approve you. We'll approve your management for you and stuff. Instead of charging a local club, you know, thousands of dollars to do their plans, 
you know, like what, what, why does the council need to make money out of it? Just do it. And then, you know, help the club grow because now it's becoming really restrictive and the road racing scene, you know, you're on the same circuits, people get bored, you know, all this stuff. So I, I was really at a fortunate time in New Zealand cycling. Yeah. And, um, I, I, yeah, just grew from there. I, th- I think that's, it's a very similar situation in, in the UK. There are a lot of parallels, although, you know, I'm like 20 years older than you. There's, there's so many parallels, which, you know, the, the state of the road scene in the in the UK now isn't great. Obviously, it's not great because of lockdown, but there are far more restrictions, far more costs imposed on organisers mm. and stuff. But when I was a kid, um, going out with the club, I mean, we just we used to do some really extreme rides, you know, and and even in the bad weather back then, like now, you look at the snow, and obviously, oh, I don't want to slip off and break my leg or anything. But when I was a kid, the worst, if when the weather was really bad, that's when I got more excited about going out. And my dad would, would be like, "Yeah, let's go." And and yeah. and in like tw- thirty years ago in the UK, we used to have proper because of climate change. We used to have proper winters back in the nineteen eighties. And I remember going out with my dad and riding in snowdrifts and stuff like with these, yeah. you know, really it's low rent yeah, bikes. You, you know, how tough you were as a kid. Oh, like- I, I, honestly, really, really extreme weather conditions. Like, yeah, let's go out, let's do it, and we and it it would be excitement, not trepidation. It'd be like, yeah, just like bring it on, and you'd learn yeah. because we back then the kit was. Mostly woolen kind of kit. Lycra was just coming in. Bikes were pretty kind of basic, you know. But twenty, you know, twenty-three mil tires were considered wide. <laughs> you know, it's- yeah, it's, it, it, it is crazy. It, it's really like I think kids in general are tough. I look at my nieces and nephews when we're swimming at the river, and they're shivering now blue, but they just go back in. And yeah, I, I remember. I so Nelson Winter. I used to do these crazy. You know, I was living. In the, I would go training, and we had the Monday night at the track, and it was. I think it was a 7 p.m. start, so it would get dark at sort of 5 o'clock and cold, you know, two, two three degrees, whatever, and you, you ride into Nelson, ride around this track. Just It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a proper track. It was a, it was a rugby paddock, and you'd ride around this sealed track on the outside just as a group ride because it was under lights. Mm. And I didn't even own leg warmers. I didn't own leg warmers. I did winters and winters and didn't own them basically until I came to Europe. And I just – the only thing I had wow. was a long sleeve jersey and – um, for booties, I would just get a pair of white cotton socks, put them over my shoes, and cut a hole for the cleats. Yeah, and and that was all, like you know, and I'd and, and also like from the training stuff, I used to work at this bike shop, and I'd work until say I think at one one thirty, and I'd get on the bike at two in the middle of winter, and I'd I'd train thirty hours a week, and I, the wow. thought of going out for a five or six hour ride, leaving at two p.m. in the middle of winter, the thought of doing that now. <laughs> just seems so outrageous like i think you know if, if i could have that same you know you just do it at all costs like you say you the, you know you you didn't think twice about it in the middle of a of a winter when you were young did you but now you go oh, oh maybe i'll jump on swift or maybe i'll i'll you know i'll wait for the weekend and do the long rides and i'll just do it it, it didn't really it wasn't there was no alternative was there back then and, no. and i think kids are just tough they just they, they don't overthink it or when you're young you don't overthink it you just do it yeah it's it's really i mean as you know i was um, back in well a few years ago now over a decade ago now roughly um i was a, a police officer and i worked in child protection in, in the latter years and um in the extreme cases i was obviously working with kids who been brought up in awful circumstances for, for varying reasons varying impact factors but ultimately um, and we're just talking about sport now and uh, the sense of liberation and the sense of adventure you have as, as a wide-eyed kid. But kids are incredibly resilient. And some of the the way mm. that kids have pulled through difficult situations 
and you think like kids are kind of vulnerable they are vulnerable because they, they can't make the same choices that adults kind of uh, do but essentially as, as kind of beings you know kids are so so resilient and can soak up a lot of stuff you know um mm. and, I, and i think you know when balanced and you know their their kind of actual safety isn't a question i mean it's a good thing to just let a kid explore and i think we've become but as you get older, you change. You look at risk slightly differently. Well, massively differently, don't you? Um, mm. I remember my son growing up. It's like thinking when he, he wants to go out on his bike, and I think oh, I'd have to come with him and ride along. But I don't know. Kids are amazing, and and I think that that sense of wonder is something that is important that we just remind ourselves of sometimes, isn't it? Because but you yeah, know, exactly. there's a lot at stake for someone like yourself. And talking about it is really, I, I love talking about my time as a kid because it was absolutely mad. And it was just beautiful yeah. because my mum and dad loved me to bits, but I was allowed a lot of freedom. And and I think that's helped make me who I am today. And I clearly don't take the same risk nowadays, but I look back with a remarkable amount of fondness. And I think I am who I am today because of what I was allowed to do as a kid, you know? I think so. Yeah, and I, I think that's so important eh, as a parent to, you know, I, I, I don't have kids, but I imagine somewhere in the not too distant future, they'll, they'll probably be in the question, whatever. And yeah, And you just think like, like my parents, obviously, they must have they must have just gone like shit. He's maybe they didn't know the risks back then. Yeah, like, it's ten p.m. What's he doing? He's got school tomorrow. <laughs> He's out riding, and but they they never ever. I mean, I don't come from any cycling in the family. There's not a cyclist or a cycling friend. Okay, you know, there's no there was no cycling influence at all. So they didn't know what was. No one knew anything. Yeah. Um, um, you know, the, the, the being out in the dark on icy roads at, at, you know, on a school night at, like I so said, I would literally get off the bike some nights at 10 PM and it's, yeah. it's minus five. And I'm sure an element either, either they were just unaware or they just went, Oh, if he's prepared to do that, then that's great. It can only be good for him. And I think yeah. if you get to the point where, I mean, like I probably can't, I can't comment on it as much cause I'm not a parent, but, um, you know the overprotective kind of thing. Maybe that's the risk of of crushing the the curious or the, the adventurous thing that that can probably you know needs to be expressed to get you anywhere. And it doesn't have to be in cycling, but you know I'm sure it's it's valuable across any sort of facet of life, really. No, I, th- I think you're right, mate. I think you're right. It's um, yeah, um, yeah. We should you know we obviously got to look after kids, but you know giving them certain freedom so they can express themselves and make mistakes as well, you know, uh, is, is massively important. Now we've really, really rambled on and it's been absolutely wonderful, but there's one or two things that I do want to ask you actually, George, if, if, if you, if you don't mind, cause it's, it's been an absolute pleasure, but there's a couple of things that I kind of want to talk to you about before we kind of wrap things up. And one of them is, uh, actually is it what I wanted to do first. It's a quick one. You've been a pro since 2011, you would Trek, Live Strong, Radio Shack, and I'm reading this off, off a sheet, obviously, Radio Shack, Cannondale, then with Lotto, Eno Yumbo, um, currently Yumbo Visma since 2015. What I'd like to do in one word is describe each team you've been in. So if you could start with Trek, Live Strong, um, the Conti team, in one word, sum up that team for me. Fun. 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 Good yep. Good answer. Okay. Uh, Radio Shack, Nissan, forward slash Leopard. Um, my experience in the team, um, um, lost. 
Lost. Okay. Interesting. Honest. Again, this is what you always get honesty. Great. Fun. Lost. Cannondale in 2014. Sum that up. Um, in one word, man, that's real tough. Uh, <laughs> I'm even going to go with another slightly negative kind of, I want to say frustrating, but there was some, yeah, there was some absolutely awesome moments in that team. But in general, yeah, in general, I guess I have to say frustrating. Okay, yep. frustrating. Frustrating, uh, yeah. And then, okay, uh, the, your current squad, which you've been with since 2015, as I just said. So sum up Lotto um, and all. Um, ex- oh, maybe not exciting. Yeah, like, uh, what's the word for a breakthrough, you know? Like uh, for, a, for a final, for... for fulfilling? Um, fulfilling, yeah, fulfilling. Very fulfilling. Okay. Because I get the sense yeah. of what you're trying to say. And actually, you can, because you've been with that team for such a long time, you've had a very distinct progression. And yeah, a, a and I've been through kind this team from the start, from, from yeah. its inception as Lotto. Uh, you know, I was there first year. But, you know, the intro, like Livestrong was a man, that was just, that was, that was probably one of the best years I've ever had in my life. I mean, we were five, really? five Kiwis and Aussies living in a house in Boulder. I mean, it was just too much fun. And we smashed the racing. We were good. We had we were just it was just such a cool year. Um, yeah. Then I went to Radio Shack, and it was you know it was a big big team. We had the Schlecks, we had Cancellara, we had Jens, we had Max Monfort, Fugelslang. Um, we just had this on paper: Chris Horner, Cloden. Yeah. We just wow. had this insane insane team, but we were just riding around like without any ambition, and everybody was over it and. No one ever told me anything. No one ever told me what to eat. No one ever told me this. And, and you know, you see these young pros burst onto the scene now. Yeah. You know, I feel like I lost the opportunity because I, I had, I mean, okay, obviously, ultimately, it's my responsibility and I'm not going to put the blame on anyone. But I didn't know that you meant to eat this much in a race. I didn't know how to train. I didn't know how to do shit on that team. Yeah. But, right. you know, we had flash bikes and a nice kit and, and big riders, but, we never rode as a team, really. You know, there was it was all sort of guys on the way out, or it was it was it wasn't a good environment for a young guy to come into because okay. everyone was already really good, yeah. and there wasn't an emphasis on development. Um, okay. And then I went into raid to Cannondale, and that was it was just all Italian. And you know, I remember just thinking it was a last ditch option for me, and. I ended up having making some great mates and getting on really well with a lot of people and stuff. But again, I didn't really have, there was no plan for me. There was no direction. There was no, you know, like, oh, you're this, just go and race. And, you know, I had a trainer and stuff, but I was kind of just fluffing around. And it wasn't yeah. until I got to Lotto at the time, now Jumbo Visma, where they sort of tested me and went, shit, okay. You know, theoretically, you can be a really good rider here. Right. What are you doing wrong? Okay, start eating this, start training like this. Wow. And it took a year. The first year was, I was on and off, but, you know, whatever. And then by 2006, early on the next year, I'd already, you know, nearly won a stage to the mountaintop in, in California, lost to Philippe, And then, you know, it sort of just grew from there. And then I started getting always top tens. And then it just went from there. And so I feel like my career, I feel like I lost a lot of years early on. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, if I started in a team, like, I feel like I'm getting better every year. Well, I am getting better every year. I mean, you, 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 well, you clearly are, right? Yeah. You can quantify yeah. it. I mean, it's very quantifiable with a couple of simple, you know, 
KPIs that you just go, okay, this, this, this. And, and so there's no doubt about it. I'm getting better every year. And I feel like that development or that trajectory didn't start until I came to this team. Which is, yeah. I mean, that's one thing I do want to touch on before we do wrap things up is you've been with the team, as you said, since 2015 into 2021. Last year, although it was a problematic year for everybody, your results were outstanding. Um, some of the most significant rides of, of your career. And clearly, but obviously you had, that was coupled with a crash on day, day one of the tour, which made mm. things very difficult for you. But still, there was a remarkable amount of success. But the, the team itself, so, so you've evolved at the same kind of pace almost and a similar trajectory as the team has kind of built. And after a couple of years of you being in the squad, they set out their stall in the press and it's quite public knowledge that they wanted to kind of be one of the big players in the Grand Tours. And and they are. And here they, they set out a set of objectives which they essentially are achieving. And you're a part of that. So you just describe a little bit what that trajectory has been like as the way the team has year on year just got better and better and better. Until now it is, if not the, one of the biggest and strongest teams in terms of depth across the classics, across the Grand Tours in the world? Mm. Well, I mean, you look at 2015, we were shit. We were such a shit team. I mean, there was nothing, <laughs> there was love nothing that, good about us. Yeah. Like, we, we, we just, you know, oh, God, I look back at that year as a team and everybody laughs about it. You know, we often laugh about 2015. But what we had in 2015, you know, that was – a crucial ingredient to our success because at the end of that year, 2015, Ryan Zeman probably sat there with his head in his hands and goes, right, this is well, something has to change. And yeah. they just sat down and they went, right, let's overhaul. Let's everything. Okay. We leave no stone unturned and going forward, we leave no stone unturned. Yeah. And man, they're just, that's what they've done. And the, the guys in charge, I mean, they've had to make some tough decisions and they've had to, cut ties with guys that have been, you know, integral parts of this team. I remember, you know, like some great examples, like there's a guy, Rick Flens, and he was a monster. He had a big, strong guy. And he had been with the team since his, through the Contes and he was, everyone loved him. He loved the staff and he was a good rider. But, you know, they just said like he was getting a bit older and, and you know, he, they, they just had to get rid of everybody that wasn't on board with, with doing, you know, going into the, 0.1 percenters and, yeah. and they just had to make so many tough calls like letting Rick go yeah and that you know for me there was a, there was 15 cases like that and they had to let go you know and then there was an overhaul of staff everybody either you get on board with this this is what we're doing from now on or yeah. you bugger off and and the attitude of you know you've got to give Moran so much credit for this and also Mathieu Haybor he's a head of performance he's my trainer I mean these guys are just you know, they, they've just gone to, they look at everything as opposed to going, oh, yeah, well, we can't really, you know, it doesn't matter if your bike's 7.5 kilo or 7 kilo, you know, like now it does matter. It matters if it's 6.8 or if it's 6.9. Yeah. Um, now it matters about everything. And there's just been this whole attitude change. And as soon as the attitude changed and they started doing the process and everything else just sort of fell in place and it was sort of this momentum thing where, people kind of got on board with it and the people that weren't on board with it naturally stood out and didn't last long. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, it is amazing what you've done, but it, it hasn't been like one year 
like black and white one year to the next, like this explosion. It's been a steady kind of build up, and and it, it's clearly a place where young riders can kind of flourish. I mean, it's almost like the place you should have been from the start of your career. But uh, but saying that, that that's you, you can you can never you can never look back, and it, you, your career is what it is, and, and you are the rider mm. you are now at the age of thirty. You know, and and the fact that you are still getting stronger, and no doubt will for the next few years, is it must be must be wonderful to to be in a team that clearly. So you know that you are getting the best out of yourself. Obviously, you're key to that. But to have an environment where, you know, you've got um, you've got obviously a good budget, good people around you, um, and it's about detail. Now, at the elite level of any sport, now you can't just go with the flow. It's detail. Details make the difference, don't they? Let's be honest. We talk about marginal gains. It's the first time we've used that phrase in this podcast. But um, essentially, it's detail, isn't it? It's detail, commitment, mm. and everybody on board as a squad because you're not just performing as individuals, as a unit. Um, to see you out on the road and the Grand Tours especially, it's something to behold. It really, really is. And the young riders that are coming through as well, it's it's just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, these guys stepping into the environment from the from 21 years older, stepping in, having the resources that this team has and having the, the knowledge and the, you know, you just think, right, that's just... It's just no wonder the sports, you know, six watts a kilo used to be an impressive number to climb a 20 minute climb at. Yeah. And now six watt kilo, six watts a kilo might make you fourth group on the road. You know, it Jesus. doesn't, it's, yeah, yeah. it's just, it's just a, and that's the way it's going to be. And soon it's going to be seven watts a kilo. And soon it's, you know, because from 21 years old, these guys are exposing themselves to this kind of knowledge. I mean, if I look at, what I used to do versus what I do now. I mean, it's just, it's just insane, the difference. And, and, and also what I guess is pretty apparent is, you know, especially that same time trials, right? Is we're all, we're all very, very good cyclists and the gains are so like a little gain, you know, let's say, let's just say from a wattage perspective, you know, you're doing an hour time trial, and yeah. you can push ten watts more. You know, it's not much if you're doing if you're doing three fifty, and now you do three sixty. You know, percentage wise, that's bugger all. Yeah. Um, but it it translates to a minute or whatever out on the road. You know, it's such a small gain actually yeah. translates. So the best guys that seem miles ahead, you know, the percentage wise, they're only a little bit better, and. Right. And that's the kind of thing that you have to keep thinking that one, if you're better than people, you're only one or two percent better, and they're going to get, they're going to find one or two percent, and the yeah. people, people that are in front of you, they're also only one or two percent better than you, and you can find one or two percent, and yeah. you know it seems when you translate it, you think, how could I ever go three minutes faster? But when you you think, okay, what does that actually extrapolate that to physical numbers? Okay, do I lose a kilo? Do I get a little bit lighter and push a few more watts? and ride a bit smart, you know whatever a bit more aero it, it, these little things and you only need to get a percentage faster and you, you a percentage faster and you that correlates to going a lot faster in, in physical times so i think it's a really important thing to remember that you one keep looking over your shoulder and two keep looking in front of you yeah i mean that kind of manifested for you on a personal level, let's let's take out unfortunately that crash on stage one of the tour when you kind of you didn't exactly limp through, but you're a key part of the team. Did what you could, but you definitely weren't. Oh no, I limped through. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. I was okay. I was struggling after that in the tour. I I that crash should have 
when I think you broke crash, you, you, you I, broke a rib, didn't you? You broke a rib, and that's that's just the way you cut a broken rib from stage one for three weeks. Jesus, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, really. everything though that I hit the ground so hard that day. That was one of the hardest I've ever hit the ground. It was it was it was just such a massive crash. You know those crashes like sometimes you crash fast and you slide and whatever, but that one just knocked the shit out of me. I remember like hitting the deck and going, "Oh, fuck, this is bad." And it was. Then, I was. Co- you know, I was commentating. It was that. Was it just before that little hairpin? And you weren't going yeah, that. Was, was and you weren't. You right weren't going. Up. That's it. You weren't going that quickly. So all your no, momentum. We was, but, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember commentating on it, and we saw it a few. I, th- I thought, God, you know, when you know somebody goes down at speed and they slide, and the impact dissipated. You might take some skin yeah. off, but when you when, in a slow crash, you're just like a sack of spuds, aren't you? It's horrible. Yeah. And, and that one, you know, I broke my shoe in half. I was, couldn't walk. I was, my shoulder was gone, everything. And then, you know, 20K later, I went straight over the bars and the finish line landed again on everything. And I never recovered from that the whole year, right. not once. I mean, I'd, I mean, I, I was able to contribute in the tour, you know, but I had absolutely no go. So when I needed to really go, um, I wasn't there. So that was, you know, for me, that kind of turned the season into, you know, almost a disappointment in terms of the fact that the my biggest goal of the year was to be one of the last, you know, the best three or four climbers in the tour, hopefully. And yeah. and then suddenly I was there just sort of getting bottles and, and pulling on the flat and I just wasn't that good. But even, even at the Vuelta, you know, I never really recovered. I could sort of, I was probably the 10th or 11th best climber there, but just never, ever had any real go again for the rest of the year. Um, and it wasn't until I had four weeks off and, started training again that my body was properly fully ready to recover fair enough mate fair. i mean I, I i mean you're obviously going okay you've had a great start to the year we did have a bit of a conversation yesterday i think it's just just in a, in a few words mate just tell tell folks how important it is to you know for, for the for the next 12 months you're gonna be wearing the uh the kiwi national champs jersey because you, you were on the work you won the road national just a few weeks ago that must have been yeah. very very special mate so i bet you're dead excited about putting that jersey on for the first time yeah it was great i mean we um i lost the time trial title by 0.7 of a second i thought oh that's pretty niggly <laughs> that's um, pretty, yeah. and and you know the road race there wasn't much in it for the course it was just and it was the worst situation you could imagine. There was 15 guys from Black Spoke, a good continental team. And at one stage, I think they had 10 guys up the road in a group of 25 or 30 at five minutes in front of me. And I went, this is the worst race situation I've ever been in my life. Oh, God. And we just, it was quite a hot day. And I just started going, all right, I've just got to go. So, you know, early on the race just went and every little pinch just accelerated, accelerated, accelerated. And then it all came back together. I was really lucky. I had Finn um, Fisher Black. He's a young 19 year old. He actually won the time trial. He went under 23. He went faster. He went eight seconds faster than all of us in the time trial. So he, wow, but he wow. wasn't, he's under 23. So he's a huge talent and he'll be on the pro tour team. Uh, you know, he's, he's the next big thing in New Zealand cycling. This guy's, he's a massive talent. Um, so uh, luckily I had him and, you know, we just sort of kept riding, took a bit of inspiration from the Green Edge boys at their nationals and just kept riding. And uh, everyone just fell apart just in time. And I don't know, it all just worked out. And so now I'm, uh, and then I won. And it was, it was bloody good. You know, I've been trying to win for a long time and, you know, wear the jerseys real special. Um, and, you know, that's the drama we're working on now, trying to get the bloody jersey. We had an amazing design, awesome, but 
Bike NZ decided that they didn't like it. So we're back to the oh, they've just been real pain in the ass about it. Though. So we're back to okay. the drawing board trying to work out a design that um, that makes them happy. I, I know Caitlin's sort of helped with the design a little bit. Is she going to do a, a kind of brand new pair of funky shoes as well, or a couple of pairs of shoes, variations, maybe a black pair, maybe a white pair with kind of like the negative kind of effect? I can see some nice designs uh, coming out. Yeah, oh, there will definitely be some shoes involved. Um, <laughs> yes, that's, that, that's, she had a bit of an influence on the kit as well. Argue they put together and the team put together this amazing design. It was such a cool design, and I was just gutted eh, that the that the national federation didn't let it through. They said it was, you know, they didn't want to didn't want people to didn't want to confuse it with the national jersey. And I was just thinking, I don't remember the last time the national team raced uh, <laughs> raced Volta Catalunya or the Giro, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's a, bit, it's a bit, a bit of a process, a lot more of a process than I imagined. I didn't even know it was. A, I didn't even know there was a thing about this. So there's a few hoops to jump through. But once we have that all on board, and then yeah, Caitlin will will. Um, I'm sure she'll come up with something pretty cool for the shoes as well. And that'll, you know, just whatever. You know, I'm just excited to to be representing New Zealand. Um, and I mean, I always am representing New Zealand, I guess. But you know, just a bit more sort of cool, formally. Yeah. You'll always see that you'll always see that you'll kind of be fully aware of it because obviously you'd be in the zone. But sometimes I know, you know, I had the pleasure of being British national champion, and occasionally I just you'd be suffering in a race, and then you'd just get catch sight of the fact that you were in a different jersey, a very special jersey, yeah. and you'd kind of find something else. It's like a little bit like riding in a leader's jersey every single race. There's kind of a pressure that comes with it that you'll you'll definitely <laughs> yeah. settle into. But you occasionally, mate. I mean, I'd like to speak to you in twelve months' time or six months time and just say how, how, how are you finding it with the jersey because mm. they do they, they do have something kind of magical and mystical about them make because they're so coveted once you've got one there's a sense of satisfaction but also riding in one it's cool there's something in it mate you know i i'm, I'm really excited about speaking to you after you've yeah, run the first oh, few races it on. <laughs> it'll be it'll be great um so i think perry needs to be the will be the debut of the of the new jersey so yeah yeah, it'll be, be curious to see. It might be very heavy and and, and slow me down, but it might, might also be uh, uplifting. So we'll find out. Brilliant stuff, mate. Well, well George, we've we've had a wonderful conversation. We, I think we should make an appointment for later in the year to do part two because it's been that we've there's loads of things we haven't talked about, but what we have talked about has been absolutely fascinating. It's given us a real insight into your trajectory through the sport, you know, your first few years, you know, the um, the squad you're currently in now and and just to, you know, to chat with someone like yourself just about life sometimes is 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 really really cool mate. So you've been um, you've been a lot of fun. Oh, thanks man. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks thanks for having me on and uh, yeah, let's let's pencil it in for maybe the off season we can uh, we'll do the sunset hour, crack a couple of beers and oh, definitely. See what we can well, come up with. Oh, definitely. It'd be nice to do it in the same room as well mate. And maybe uh, in yeah, about, you know, that that would be kind of cool. Let's hope this vaccine does the rounds quick enough. Indeed, the, indeed, yeah. definitely. Right, mate. Well, uh, well, well. Thanks very much again, George. Mate, you take care and best of luck. But uh, best of luck, so I say, in the race to the sun, mate. Yeah, thank you very much. Take care, mate. All right, cheers, guys. That was a lot of fun. Huge thanks to George Nelson Bennett. And if we were all like George, my name would be Matt Hendon Stevens. What would yours be? Let me know with the easy to remember hashtag Sigma Sports presents Matt Stevens Unplugged George Nelson Bennett episode.
Thanks as ever to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the pod, and why not recommend it to your cycling buddies? Or to a barefooted Kiwi wandering aimlessly around a French supermarket looking for yogurts, if you see one. And finally, a massive thanks again to George for joining me from his Andorran high-altitude apartment. Thanks all, goodbye, and stay safe. Thank you.